Lord Jesus, uh, this week, God, we, we start a lot of things. We start a new year. Lord, we start new resolutions and new goals. Father God, but before we start anything, Lord, I pray that, that we would place it at your feet. that is our prayer today. God, as we dive into a topic today, Lord, and a conversation about how we may run on fumes, God, would this be a time where we catch our breath, where we would hear from you, Lord Jesus, where we would be able to not run on fumes, but run on your Holy Spirit and your holy power. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Watch this video with me. These are actual sentences I heard this week, said to my face. <laughs> hey, Christina, you look so tired. Why do you always look so tired? Also, um, do you know you have a big stain on your shirt? You're kind of a mess. Also, whoa, 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 you're not making any sense, Christina. Are you a little drunk? No, I'm not drunk. I'm a mother, and it's just that sleep deprivation sometimes looks a lot like drunk. <laughs> I am currently raising a teenager, a preteen, and a toddler, all at the same time, without any professional help, not even like a live-in therapist, which I could use. I used to be able to hold intelligent conversations. I used to be able to say something, and then the person would respond with, wow, that's a good point, Christina. <laughs> I miss those days. Let me give you a visual. This is my brain before kids. This is my brain after kids. <laughs> so if you run into me at the grocery store and I'm not wearing my pajamas and I don't have any Cheerios stuck to my face and I don't have crayons in my hair and I utter a cohesive sentence, I expect you to congratulate me. I want an applause. I want a cupcake. I prefer a full-on party, but I don't have the energy to party right now. These are act- <laughs> <Well. laughs> Who does that resonate with this morning? 
<laughs> if you didn't guess it, this morning our topic is parenting and running on fumes in your parenting. Now, uh, I just want to gauge the room as we get started because, you know, sometimes uh, sermons, they apply to more people than not. And, you know, so I just want to gauge the room. How many of you are parents? Raise your hand. Okay, good, 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 good. Um, how many of you have parents? Raise your hand. Okay, not everybody raised their hands, so I'm a little nervous. Uh, we might have some aliens in the building. Um, but, but before we get started into this topic of parenting, I got to give a shout out for my single folks that maybe don't have kids or are ha- never going to have kids. And I just want to say that although it's very easy to tune out for this topic, I'm going to challenge you not to. And just for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, I need your help in confirming the things that I say that they're actually true. Because you're children, and you know exactly all the ways that we act and the ways that we push our parents to the very edge. Am I right? And another reason that I say this is that parenting is a difficult topic to have because it stirs up some unhealthy things from our past, usually. Uh, A lot of times, we have parents that maybe weren't even nurturing that maybe were abusive or neglectful. And and I heard a pastor say it the other day, do you want your parents leading your life, or do you want Jesus to lead your life? And more often than not, we find ourselves going into the pattern and doing the things that our parents did. And so while we talk about how to parent, I want to remind you that this is how how God, your father, this is his perfect image for it. And so maybe you're not a parent now, maybe you're going to be a parent someday, and all the parents in the room can attest, if I knew more before I started this whole mess, uh, I would be much better off. Or maybe you'd say, no, I'm not a parent and I don't plan on being. I bet there's somebody in your life that looks up to you. I bet there's somebody younger than you that you have a really big influence in. Uh, for, For me, that's my niece Lola. She is a 10-year-old mini-me, okay? Um, And I get to visit her every once in a while, and she follows me around. She says the things that I say. Um, She wears her hair like me. We even have very similar glasses. Um, And it's important to me that she sees me as a role model. And I wonder who that is for you. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your adult children. Maybe it's the people that you mentor. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's your adopted little sister or your adopted little brother. But who is that person that looks up to you and says, someday I want to be like that? See, we all have those people in our lives. And let me tell you what, parenting is not for the weak of heart. Uh, James Dobson was quoted saying uh, that, that parenting is not for cowards. <laughs> and I would absolutely agree with that. Uh, parenting is one of the most difficult things that you can ever do in your life. You know, you got the terrible twos, right? You got the three nagers, you know. Uh, you have the feisty four-year-olds. You have the know-it-all five-year-olds. You have the sassy sixes. And don't even get me started on puberty, okay? <laughs> like, like, as they get bigger, so does the responsibility get bigger of leading them, Right? Mark Twain, he put it this way, and I love this quote. It says, when kids are 13, put them in a barrel. 
<laughs> and nail the lid shut. Then feed them through the knot hole. When they're 16, plug the knot hole, okay? <laughs> That's just good, good advice. Some of you guys, you have three-year-olds, and you're like, where do I pick up my barrel, okay? <laughs> but, but it's difficult, and it's hard to get through. And I would say that for a lot of us, we can find ourselves in this huge, uh, wonderful responsibility of parenting running on absolute fumes. And so I want to do a little bit of an exercise with you this morning, and I want you to put your hand out in front of you, maybe sit it on your lap so, you know, people aren't looking around at your hands or whatever. Uh, but put your, your hand wide open, and as I, I list, I'm going to have five different statements, and as they come up on the screen, and as I say them and explain them, if those resonate with you today, I just want you to put a finger down. And at the next statement, if it resonates with you, Put another finger down. Catch my drift? It's not super complicated. Hopefully not. All right, so the first one is this. I am alone in this. Uh, no one really gets it. No one really cares, and I'm just like making the best guess that I have. Uh, my friends, my family, they don't get it. They want to, but they just don't. Next one. I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, can I put two fingers down? Um, <laughs> emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, I can't keep up. Sometimes I feel like just shutting down, closing up shop, and running away from it all. Next one. I'm uninformed. I don't know what's going on in their lives. I don't know their grades. I don't know their fears. I don't know how they're coping with the circumstances of their lives. I don't know their friends. I don't know if they're seeing somebody. Uh, they just don't let me in. Next one. I'm powerless. I feel completely out of control and helpless. Sometimes I feel taken advantage of. Maybe even underappreciated, and I don't know why sometimes I even keep talking. Last one. I'm not enough. I can try as hard as I can, and I still get surprised. I don't know if I'm making the right decisions, and everyone around me seems to have a better hold on this than I do. Now, whether you have one finger up or five fingers up, I want you to close your fist like this and look at it. Look at it in your lap. Because this is the image that we get of parenting when we are clinging to those kinds of lies. Uh, we are clinging, white-knuckle clinging, to lies and expectations that never really seem to get mad. And the, the hardness of this is that when you open your hand, there ain't nothing there helping you. There ain't nothing there helping you. And, and at the end of the day, no wonder we are feeling like we're running on fumes in our parenting. We aren't putting gasoline in the tank. We're putting water. We're putting detrimental thoughts, expectations, and ideas that are going to destroy us. Now, if I asked you what your goal of parenting is, I think I'd probably get like a multitude of responses, okay? Some people would be like, I just want them to make it to 18 without burning the house down or losing a limb, okay? <laughs> and that's good and fun at all, but like anything that we do in our life, it has a goal, doesn't it? You know, whether it's what we cook for dinner or like a New Year's resolution, we have this bigger goal in mind that we're headed towards. And I think sometimes parenting is such a huge responsibility that we forget to set a goal. 
What is this big grand goal that I'm headed towards? And so I want to give you a biblical goal for parenting, and it's fairly easy to remember. It's only two words. If you're taking notes, write it down. And this is what it is. Transfer dependence. Transfer dependence. Now, when you have a baby, and I recently traveled uh, to Oklahoma to be with my friend who had a newborn, and every single time that Diana, her baby, who's like the cutest little potato I've ever seen in my life, um, every time that she needed something, she'd cry, right? You know, she pooped, she'd cry. She peed, she cried. You know, she's hungry, she cried. She needs to be held, she cried. She cried because she just wanted to cry. You know, she just cries. And, and Carrie, she's a wonderful mother. She jumps into action and she helps her baby girl. But eventually, hopefully, that doesn't last forever, right? Over time, she needs them less and less. The other day, I saw her posting a picture of her holding the bottle by herself. And I'm sure Carrie's heart jumped down to the floor, right? But over time, they need you less and less. And that happens on accident. Like, you don't even have to try to get your kids to not need you as much. One day, you might even look up and think, I thought I was more helpful to them than I am. And that just happens naturally because we grow up and we become less and less dependent on our parents. And that'll happen naturally. What won't happen naturally is for them to transfer that dependence off of you and onto God. That doesn't happen by accident. That happens in, with incredible intentionality. And it's difficult because apparently these kids of ours, they're not ours, they're God's. And I have to transfer that dependence over and over to Jesus, over and over to the Lord. And just like anything else, if we don't transfer that dependence over to Jesus, it'll be transferred to something. You know, if you, if you don't push them, they'll, they'll naturally be pushed away from you. But what are they transferring their dependence on? And we're going to look in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And to give you some a concept of what's going on at the time, this is right after the Lord delivers the Ten Commandments to Moses. And Moses gives this long teaching about the Ten Commandments, and this is a huge turning point in history. This is a moment when God rains down from heaven and tells his people what to do. And immediately following that, the next logical step for Moses to make is to talk about parenting. If that doesn't show how important this is, I don't know what will. So, so Deuteronomy chapter 6, and it's going to start in verse 1. It says, These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that you, the Lord, commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and your grandchildren must fear the Lord, your God, as long as you live. Moses says, Your job as parents is to transfer dependence onto the Lord. Now, I don't know if you knew this, parents, and also people with people that, people who influence people, okay? You are generation shapers. Okay, so for my parents that have little kids, this morning, think about it, did you feel like a generation shaper this morning? 
<laughs> as you are changing a poopy diaper or reminding your kid for the 50th time that she cannot pull her sister's hair, uh, <laughs> did you feel like a generation shaper? Probably not. For those of you with teenagers, did you feel like a generation shaper when they roll their eyes so far back into their head you don't know if they're going to come back? <laughs> you know, probably not. You know, for, for those of you with adult kids, did you feel like a generation shaper when they asked you for money for rent? Like, probably not. But Moses says that this parenting thing that you have to lock onto is bigger than you. It, it transfers into further generations. And so the first piece of advice that I would give for parenting, and this isn't going to seem like parenting advice at all, but if you don't get this one, you're going to miss the rest. And that is, love God with all your heart. Love God with all of your heart. Verse 4, it says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. See, that probably doesn't sound like parenting advice. That sounds like life advice. Um, but one of the scariest realizations that parents have is that your child, they will do what you do, not what you say to do, right? Uh, they will follow what you do, not what you necessarily say to do. They will follow how you act, not how you tell them to act. And that's terrifying, because that puts a lot of pressure on how you act and how you do life. You know, you want your kids catching you doing things that are holy. You want them to catch you reading your Bible. You want them to catch you uh, serving others. You want them to see you in life groups. You, you want them to see you tithing, to watch you being patient and kind, to watch you being joyful and peaceful and showing kindness and faithfulness. But the question is, what do your kids catch you doing? What, what do your kids catch you actually doing with your life? What do they catch you prioritizing? What do they catch you ignoring? Now, what, what do they catch you investing in and valuing? What do they catch you overlooking? What do they see you investing your time and your money into? See, those speak volumes over what we actually say. And the reason that, that it says love God with all of your heart is because it influences beyond what you even imagine. One of the worst things that we can do as parents is give our children a little bit of God. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, it is flu season, right? Anybody know somebody that got the flu recently? Yeah, Jen's in the back, like, stay away from me. Uh, <laughs> but, but it is flu season. And they encourage you to go and get a flu vaccine, right? And so when you go in to get your flu shot, they actually inject you with a tiny bit of the virus itself, don't they? A tiny bit of the live active virus into your system. Because if they can inject you with a tiny bit of that, that virus, your body can understand it and know how to defeat it. And it will be immune to that flu. Um, it will know how to defeat it, but it will never give it all the whole-blown flu and change its entire life. 
And I would ask the same about how we raise our kids with Jesus. Are we making our kids immune to God? Is this the only building where they experience God? Are you giving them just enough knowledge to know how to understand and wrap their brains around, but not enough to transform their entire lives? One of the hardest things is a kid that grows up understanding who God is and never experiencing transformative power of Christ. And it happens not when we just choose to go to church or we choose to be there. No, it happens when we choose to love God with our whole being. And problem is, is that there's so much that distracts us. You know, uh, and that's, you know, just life in general, okay? That's, well, there's a lot of stuff that distracts us just on the behalf of our children. You know, we have football, and we need to provide for them to pay for their equipment, so we have to work long hours so that we can give them a better life than we had. And they're good intentions. We have to have ballet and gymnastics and baseball and after-school projects and underwater basket weaving and competitive underwater <laughs> basket weaving, you know. And you work hard to pay for those things. Oh, and by the way, someday they're going to need a car, you know, and an education. And so we have to work hard to manage their schedules and provide for them. And what we're doing is that we're burning ourselves out providing every single thing that they think that they need except for the one thing that we know will carry them through life. And it's very easy to become kid-focused and not Jesus-focused. Kid-focused, I'm going to make them happy. I'm going to revolve my life around them instead of Jesus-focused. See, we have all the time in the world for their clubs and their sports, but we have no time for church. You know, we have all time in the world to get them to their activities, to be a part of those things, but God forbid that I am a part of a midweek discipleship situation. I couldn't put my kids through that. I couldn't serve at church. Well, I would have to make them be at church for two hours instead of one. You know, I can't do that. I don't like singing. So I'm not going to sing during worship. You know, I don't like people, so we're just going to get here late and we're going to leave early, okay? And we think that this isn't affecting our kids. This is, it is sending a significant message towards them. What message does it send when you have all the time in the world for travel soccer club and no time in the world for God? And then we expect for them to grow up and go to a church? What are you modeling? Well, what are you, what is your life reflecting? What does it say about us when we would bend over backwards so that they can get an A plus in math and statistics? But we never leave our comfort zone to ask them about Jesus. There was a recent study on parenting uh, that was put out in, by Promise Keepers, and it said uh, at a local church level, if mom and dad are active in church, and I mean like active, not just like show up, check the box, leave, active, 72% of children will stay active in church as an adult. 72%. And that's you showing up and being part of a church, which let's not even talk about how much that's going to bless your life already. 
However, it found that if both mom and dad aren't active in church, even if they go to church, even if they go to church but they're not active in it, the statistic drops from 72% to 6%. 72% to 6%. And I, I struggle with this as a pastor because so often I hear people come in and say, well, I'm just looking for the right fit for my family. And I'll be honest with you, there is no church out there that will be the perfect fit for your family. And if we find ourselves jumping from church to church every single time we get upset or we get rubbed the wrong way, that illustrates something to your kids. That they don't have to stick around. That church is about them. Not about Jesus. If I could be a fly on your living room wall, what does your home say about your love for God? You know, well, what does it say about the, the movies that you watch, about the music that you listen to, about your internet history? What does your time with your family and without your family say? Because the reality is, is that the environment that they're growing up in, that's what's going to be replicated. Everything they see you do, it's reproduced in their lives. It's reproduced in how they grow up. And if you are feeling like you are running on fumes in your parenting, the best piece of advice for you I can give is take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. You know, you're not going to, to be modeling Jesus if you are overworked, overstressed, overstretched, and don't even have time to do it because they will become the overflow. What are you spilling onto your kids? Second one, lead your family. Verse 6, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and we, when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, if you're not leading your family, who is? Uh, there was a guy by the name of Duke of Windsor, and he, he traveled to America, and he wrote all of his opinions and experiences in America. And this is what he said. The thing that impresses me the most about America is the way the parents obey their children. <laughs> <laughs> like, sick burn, bro. <laughs> Yikes, okay? Uh, <laughs> but, but the harsh truth is that if you aren't leading them towards Jesus, if you aren't leading your family, something or someone is. And I don't want anybody to be leading my life except for Jesus and me. I can't even imagine what it feels like to have a little mini-me and say, are they leading me? See, knowing the end game, transferring dependence towards God, it's countercultural. It might mean that you limit the amount of activities that your children are in. It might mean that you have dinner, maybe once a week, maybe uh, every night a week if you're like, you know, Mary Poppins or something. Uh, but, but it may mean that you set apart a time when you are just together so that they can see what a healthy relationship with the Lord looks like 
Maybe it means that you need to be discipled. Maybe you need a, a mentor, somebody to walk with you through this situation that would inspire you so that you can show them what health looks like. We have to learn who our kids are and give them a hunger for God. Meet them where they're at, just like Jesus met us where we're at. And say, who is this Jesus? And I'll be honest with you, the world that they live in, it is not going to push them towards God. It is not going to push them towards Jesus. But look at me in my eyeballs. You will. You will. And I'm not saying like the uh, general of you sense. I'm saying each individual in this room, you, I believe that you will. You know why? Not because you had great parents to grow up with, no. Because you are a child of the best father in the entire universe. And you have been given an example. You have been given a truth. You have been filled with his love. And that's the thing that needs to overflow to your children. This whole world may be bent away from them. You are different. And if nobody has ever told you that, and if you need uh, to hear that on a weekly or daily basis, I will tell you, you are different. You are chosen by God. And those little kids, you have no idea what they're going to grow into. Uh, when I was in elementary school, my family went through a shift. Uh, there was some politics at the church, and long story short, somebody called my dad and said that they weren't giving enough money to the church. And my parents made a decision that day that the church wasn't going to fall top priority. And for very good reason. That's a really terrible thing for anybody to do. And, and my life shifted when I was in elementary school. It shifted from being the kid that was constantly at church, being constantly involved, to every once in a while we would go. And I remember at, that led into middle school where I'm going through, oh, God knows what I'm going through, puberty and everything else. And I have no basis for who I am. See, the reality is, is that the life that you lead, the choices that you make, our God is a God of redemption. He is a God of restoration. I don't care how old your kids are. He is still not done with them. I look back at my life and I think, man, absolutely, this, this affected me. But I'm still up here. Uh, there was a time in my high school years where my mom said, church is important. And so even if you're sitting in the room this morning and you're thinking of your kids and you're saying, there's no way, I'm standing proof that there is a way and that Jesus has the power to restore your story and to set things right. Uh, the last one is set some boundaries. Set some boundaries. And uh, I figured that we might need a little bit of time to laugh. So we're going to go back to our friend Christina <laughs> uh, for some advice in this category. So watch this video with me. All three of my kids are mad at me right now for like completely different, unrelated reasons. All three are mad at me right now. For those of you who struggle with math, 
That means that 100% of my children are angry with me right now. And you know what? I don't care. I don't care. You know why? Because I am not their buddy. I am their parent. They are angry at me because I parented them. My number one job as their parent is to love them. And loving them does not mean making sure they're always happy and get every single little thing they want. Loving them means raising them into healthy, decent human beings who I would actually want to hang out with someday. That's what loving them means. Until my kids are adults, I am not their friend. We are not on the same level. I'm the authority. My child's well-being is more important to me than my child's opinion of me. My job is not to be liked by my kid, and I don't take it personally when my kid doesn't like me. And honestly, if my kids like me 100% of the time, I'm probably failing at parenting. So listen, parents. I know this parenting thing is really, 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 really hard. I know. And I know you're trying to do the right thing, and you're trying to be strict when it's necessary, and then your child gets upset at you, and then you give in. Don't do that. Don't give in. Hold your ground. And I hear some of you parents say things like, oh, my little kid is my best friend. That sounds really cute and all, but let's just be honest. If you're like 30, 40 something, and your best friend is an eight year old, like that's just weird. It's weird. Don't be so insecure and desperate for your kid to always like you. Parent your child and then find friends your own age. Now here's the good news. If you're trying to do the right thing and parent your children, them not liking you is not terminal. It's not going to last forever. You know what's terminal? Them turning into entitled bratty adults the rest of the world now has to deal with. That's terminal. But them not liking you, that's not going to last forever. And I have some more good news. At least one brand of ice cream at your grocery store right now is on sale. So go get it. All three. That's like oddly scriptural. I was just going to say, uh, Proverbs 13 verse 24, it says, those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Uh, Proverbs 19, 18, discipline your children while there is still hope. Like, if that's not something from like a strung out mother, I don't know what is, you know? Discipline your children while there is still hope. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. And too many parents, they are exhausted, they are strung out, they are at their very wit's end, they are running on fumes. But let me be clear, the things that we let happen matters. Uh, Phil Tagg, I love this quote. He says, The exhaustion from parenting our kids does not come from the boundaries that we set. It comes from the lives that our kids live when we don't set the boundaries. I don't care how old your kid is, that is still true. I am 28 years old, and I don't set boundaries for my dad. <laughs> Uh, kids in this room, you can attest to that. You're not like, whoa, 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 mom, I need you to discipline me. <laughs> okay? We have to be the people that set those boundaries. You are their parents. You, you see everything about them. You know their insecurities. You know their faults. You've seen them at their worst and at their best. And if you don't set boundaries with them, I got news for you. Ain't nobody else doing it. Uh, this past week, I uh, was counting the number of flights that I got on this past year, and I got onto a plane about two dozen times, um, 
which probably accounts for some, you know, brain cell loss or something, I don't know. Uh, but 24 different times I heard the flight attendants give the security briefing before the flight takes off, right? And every single time they say the same thing. If the oxygen masks go down, put them first on yourself and then on the small child next to you. Where do you need to put your oxygen mask on? Uh, where, where do you need to put that on? Because the, the flight attendants, they know something. That if you don't do that, you guys both aren't making it. If you don't do that, you guys both are going to be out of oxygen, out of fumes, out of gas, and it's not going to work. Where do you need to put the oxygen mask back on and put on yourself so that you can overflow to your children? Maybe it means that you need to get serious with your relationship with Christ. And you need to decide that you're going to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and make it real. Maybe you need somebody to walk with you in that journey. Maybe you need to say, I'm going to make serving at church a priority just because I love my kids and I want them to do that someday too. Maybe you need to start leading your family and taking ownership of that. Maybe you need to set some boundaries and say enough is enough. This is where I end. I don't know where that hits you today, um, but I know that there's an aspect in all three of these that we could probably be doing better. So I want to invite you into a posture of prayer with me right now. And that might be kneeling, that might be coming up to the altar, that might be standing, that might be sitting, whatever that looks like. And, and as we sit in this posture of prayer, in the quietness of this moment, I want you to just ask the Lord, where is it? Where is it that I'm running on fumes in the people that I influence and in the children that I lead? God, it's been said that, that parenting is the greatest form of leadership. Lord, because it requires that I don't just lead once a week, but I lead with my life. Lord Jesus, and we know the ways that our kids are not headed towards you. We may recognize them pretty closely and be fam pretty familiar with them because they're all so active in our lives. God, but we believe that you are a God of restoration. You are a God that doesn't say it is finished here. Lord, but that you paid the price of our sins so that we may live lives that are holy and blameless. God, that are empowered by your Holy Spirit. 
and that follow suit of the best father that we have ever met. God, thank you that you are a dad that loves us more than we could ever even love our kids. God, I ask during this time, during this closing song, Lord, that you would help us to reflect on those truths. Lord, that you would minister to our hearts with your grace and with your conviction. And that we wouldn't just leave this sermon here, but that we would let it mold our lives and empower us to be the parents you have called us to be. Empower us to be the mentors that you have called us to be. Empower us to be the examples. Lord Jesus, we love you so much and we lay our children and our young people at your feet and we ask that you would help us to lead them like you lead them. God, we want, we want a generation to rise up that believes that you are who you say you are and that you're going to do what you say you'll do. God, help us to be people that are who we say we are and do what we say we'll do. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.